0: Good morning, people of God. My name is Emmanuel, and our passage for today's service shall be taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, from verse 3 to 5. I read in Jesus' name. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Then uneven, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. You can sit. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful start to our service. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. If you were here last week, Pastor Lynn got us launched into the book of Luke, reminding us that Luke's narrative of Jesus is not fake news, but is true News that we can trust. If you didn't have a chance to hear that or you weren't here with us on last Sunday, please pull that up and enjoy that message. It's such a wonderful way to start the gospel. It's also a wonderful just reminder of God's truth. I've entitled today's message, Silence Broken. Today we will see, as we zero in on the first of two miracles, our miraculous birth. That, that, that will bring about the end of a 400-year prophetic drought and will usher in God's plan of redemption. God breaks his prophetic silence, announcing hope. Luke will both reach back into prophecies and he will point forward to what God would then do. I love the words of A.W. Tozer when he says, The mind looks backward in time until the dim past vanishes, then turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination collapse from exhaustion. And God is at both points, unaffected by either. Time marks the beginning of created existence, and because God never began to exist, it can have no application to him. Began is a time word and can have no personal meaning for the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Isn't that great? But then there's us, we who exist within time, and so often we struggle with time, don't we? And we struggle with this idea of putting our faith and trust in a God who reigns outside of time. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you probably know what it's like to grow weary of praying the same prayer. And maybe you've been praying for one specific thing for for days or weeks, months, dare I say years, or, or even decades. And how hard that can be to continue to pray. You think, you know, God, are you going to respond? Maybe it's about health concerns or maybe it's about salvation of a loved one. And we keep praying and praying. Understand here that generations of Jews wondered if they would see the Messiah. Wondering, will it be in our time? And so many experienced silence. Are any of you good with conversational silence? Some of you are fine with that. You don't mind those long pauses. Others of you, you get very nervous. It's just, it's a little uncomfortable. I had a man come to my office years ago, and as he came to my office, he, he moved his chair and he turned it almost 90 degrees away from me, and he, he talked straight ahead the whole time. I kept wanting to kind of roll around to see if I could get in his purview, and a great guy, and as he talked, he would say the most insightful things, very intelligent, but as we talked, there would be these long pauses. I didn't know what to do with myself. Delayed answers. In in a culture of technology, sometimes we get frustrated if we send a text and there's no reply. You might say things like, I know she's got her phone. I know it's right there, right? Or or maybe delayed in getting an email back. Two weeks ago, I took a a Wednesday morning to to go through my emails because I always sort the junk mail out right away, and then I sort emails that I think are important, But as I looked at my email, I realized I had 900 of them saved up. Two hours later, I had eliminated 200 of them and realized I had forgotten to respond to some things. I'm sorry if if you were in that bracket. But here, from the last Old Testament prophets, there had been four centuries plus of Silence. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 for starters. There's a Bible near you if you need it. and We'll have it on the screen as well. Luke 1, we'll start in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Would you join me in prayer? Father, would you just be with us now as we dig into your word? And Lord, we desire to honor you and give you praise through the the words that we sing and the words that we share even now. God, would you just be in our midst and help us to glorify you through the whole church making whole disciples for the good of all people. God, would you have your way in our hearts, in our lives now. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So Luke says, in the days of King Herod, this is Herod the Great. He ruled as king from Judea, or, uh, came of Judea from 37 to 4 BC. So understand, obviously, this is way beyond the time of the, of the Old Testament greats, the Ruth, and the Esther, the uh, Solomon, Daniel, right? Long time in between. So much time has passed. And now Luke is giving us an introduction to the parents of John the baptizer. John's parents were a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who was a descendant of the daughters of Aaron. So, So John comes out of this priestly lineage. They were described as godly people, as upright people, Luke says righteous, and and it's observing all the commandments of the Lord, or they're not sinless, but they worked hard to observe the law, but they have an issue. I love what Diane Chen says in her commentary on Luke. She says, all should be well for these godly, priestly folks, but it's not. Elizabeth has been, un, been unable to have children, and both were now old and beyond childbearing age. In today's world, we tend not to attribute infertility to moral failure or divine retribution. Empathy rather than ostracism is a typical response. In the biblical world, however, barrenness was considered a curse from God. After all, God gave creation the mandate to be fruitful and multiply, If having children was considered to be a sign of blessing, the natural explanation for God to close the womb would be a well-deserved punishment. We'll see in in verse 25 as it reveals that that this was a constant source of embarrassment and shame for Elizabeth. Look with me now at verse 8. Now while he was serving as a priest before the Lord when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel, the Lord, standing on his right side of the altar of the uh, the incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So imagine this now. You've got these uh, divisions of one of 24 groups of priests drawn up in David's time. We see it in 1 Chronicles 24. And the priests in, in, in each division were on duty twice a year for a week at a time. Zechariah is chosen by lot. We might say by the roll of a dice, but that's not an accurate description. Because Luke points out very clearly that this was not random chance. God had this in mind. It was his plan. It's The fact that Zechariah is one chosen and able to to go light the incense in itself is a very big deal. The temple duty was only uh, uh, truly a a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience like this. So many priests that it would be rare to get to do this. And Zechariah is sort of the focus of the nation at this moment. And it's a big time for him. It's it's serious. It's what he's been prepared for or training for. He's undoubtedly stressed and excited. His heart rate is probably up. He's overwhelmed. And people are praying at the hour of incense like they should. Because the incense that Zechariah is to light is to symbolize the prayers of a nation rising up before God. Remember now, these prayers are being lifted before their God who has been silent 400 years. Would you have wanted to give up? 400 years of silence. Would you, Your parents would have talked about praying for it, and their parents, and, and generations. And, and at some point, would you want to just stop and say, You know, you've taught me about the faithfulness of God and, and how Abraham and we're, the, his children in the covenant and, and how uh, Moses led the people out in the great Exodus and all those miracles and all this stuff. But, but come on, is he still there? Does he even care if he is there? But these people were praying, arguably because they believe still. So Zechariah goes in, and if he isn't stressed enough, he gets a little surprise visitor. Probably scared him senseless. You know those moments when you go somewhere and somebody's there, but you expect no one to be there? It's a startling moment. For years, it was my, my custom to go and lock up our church in Illinois at night. After 10 o'clock, I'd go there and I'd make sure all the doors were locked and I'd walk through the building, shutting off lights as they were on. In years of doing it, there was only one time that I got really scared and they had picked up this little mannequin boy who pointed like that. He was only this tall, but mannequin boy like that. And uh, my co-workers decided it would be funny to put him in a particular place that I would encounter at night. And I came around the corner to this So he got my ninja moves. I mean, I just ninja that thing. Don't worry, I won the battle. But fear fell upon him. I bet it did. What a startling moment. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The first broken silence, an angel's announcement to Zechariah, to one man, after all this wait, the, the, the silence is broken to one man, to this priest. And the angels ultimately saying to Zechariah, "Relax. This is a good visit. It's baby time." This is a heavenly announcement. is is a personal one and a national one. You and Elizabeth—that's personal. You're going to be having a baby. Your prayers have been heard. Were they still praying for a baby, or were they just praying for the nation, praying for the Redeemer? You're going to have a son and a great one at that. This was personal for Zachariah and Elizabeth. But it wasn't about Elizabeth. It wasn't about Zachariah, was it? This was bigger. This was an account of how God was keeping his promise Luke doesn't directly call this a Nazarite vow, but we can kind of look look at it in that it describes of of John that there would be uh, no alcohol and uncut hair and and, and no contact with the dead is what were typically part of the Nazarite vows and we understand that from Scripture. And there were some that were uh, 30-day or 100-day vows and then there were some that were Nazarites from birth to death, like Samson and you could argue John the Baptist. The idea is that he's... Going to be great. God is going to use him. And this this gets national and beyond. But then he says, with power like Elijah. I want you to think about this for a minute. If you are a Jewish priest and you are told that your son is going to be born and he's going to have power like Elijah, this is a very big deal. He's heroic. If they had action figures back in that day, you'd have Moses and you'd have Elijah and some others, right? Your your son is going to be heroic. It's like telling a high school basketball coach he's going to have a son and his son is going to be the next Michael Jordan. But it should raise some questions in your mind. The spirit and power of Elijah. If you're familiar with John the Baptist, if you know scripture, and you're familiar with Elijah, you got Elijah who took on the prophets on the mountaintop, that wonderful story, he prayed about rain, and he was fed by the ravens, and you go, okay, where will we see the Elijah-like power with John? Herbert Lockyer notes some parallels. Their familiarity with deserts and solitude... Their austere manner and dress, their strong reproof of prevailing evils, their intrepid fidelity to calling all classes to repentance, their exposure to the wrath of a wicked king, their continued influence after death through disciples, their fruitful labors, Many of the children of Israel did they turn to the Lord their God. Matthew 11, verse 11 says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist amongst you. And John's greatest act will be that he will prepare the way for the Lord. He will tell people, come on, look, there's the Messiah. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's what was so great. John 10 verse 41 says, And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. But everything John said about the man was true. And many believed in him there. That's what would be great about John. He's introducing the Messiah. The angel who will declare himself to be Gabriel tells Zechariah that his son will be filled with the spirit even from the womb. This alone elevates John to greatness right here. The Old Testament, you had the spirit resting upon people for a time or for a task Filled with the spirit from the womb. Something new is going on, something big. And big news just becomes huge news. And let's review the facts. And and let's consider for a minute the cultural context here. It was normal and customary for a king to send a messenger on ahead of him when he would travel. And the messenger would really just alert the people or alert a community that the king would soon arrive. The people then could make the necessary preparations for his arrival. They could clean up the community, clean themselves up, put their best foot forward, and prepare a royalty appropriate welcome. One could argue, especially since they were expecting a conquering king, that they would have been awaiting and watching a messenger to come. And that was to be John. Look now at Zechariah's response in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Married men, don't say that to your, about your wife. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I'm going to make a defense on both sides of Zachariah's situation here for a minute. I can easily imagine saying, Sorry, Mr. Angel, person, thing, being, uh, I think you've got the wrong priest. His question is, is, is very reasonable How can I know this? I'm an old man. Are you kidding? On the other side of that, you have a heavenly being surprise you in the temple, call you by name, make the announcement, claiming to be sent from God and knows your wife's name. What more do you need at that point? Right? And Gabriel has no time for Zachariah's doubt, does he? Behold, good angel word there. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which would be fulfilled in their time. Zachariah doubted and was unable to speak for months and all he did was ask, how can I be sure? I can easily believe that those months he spent mute, he spent reminding himself of the importance of believing in God. And not doubting his power. Imagine if you and I lost our ability to speak every time we doubted God in any way. Some of us would be a little bit more quiet, wouldn't we? We'd have a little less to say. Get really good at trades. I would argue it seems like a heavy punishment for the unbelief. And I must confess that there are circumstances in scripture that I really want to argue with the Lord about. They don't seem fair to me. You've got Moses going through all that he goes through to lead these whiny people out of Egypt and all that he tolerates with them. And then he goes to the very edge of the promised land and gets to look into it but cannot enter That doesn't seem fair to me. Or Joseph going through all that he went through to be used of God. Elijah's hardships. Ezekiel having to live out the prophecy day after day. Jacob's wrestling match, all that the apostles went through to proclaim the good news of Jesus. But I think maybe Zechariah's experience fits the list. But I wonder what that tells us about believing God. It's as though Gabriel was saying, Zechariah, you're a priest, you're a servant of the living God, you're a man of faith. I'm delivering you this amazing truth, and you want a confirmation number. Look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. It was personal for her, wasn't it? It's interesting that the people are praying, but they're also wondering what's wrong. And what were they praying for? Was it being answered as they prayed? Little did they know what was happening. But he comes out unable to speak. He has this incredibly important message to share. They have questions. He has answers. And the answers are fantastic. Had to be frustrating. Listening to him without being able to hear and just trying to figure out these charades that he's doing and he kept making signs to them and remained mute indulge me for a minute while I do something that I'm going to regret doing Thank you very much. (laughs) Sad part is, I practiced. (laughs) Had a little fun with that, but I did it for a reason. Think about this God is breaking his silence to the people, and it's done in silence. The long-anticipated, wonderful message that Zechariah received is now locked up in a priest who has been muted because of doubt. The one guy that gets told can't tell it for months. God's breaking his silence. And next week we'll see heaven breaks its silence to Mary, and you know about that. But look ahead with me at, at... Verse 41 of Luke, uh, Luke 1, Elizabeth goes and visits Mary and says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped. I'm sorry, it was the other way around. Mary visits Elizabeth. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, And why is this grounded to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Filled with the Spirit, Elizabeth speaks. Heaven speaks. And Mary's going to give her song of praise, right? And then you know the story of John's birth, and on the eighth day, when, when John was to be circumcised, people assume that he's going to be called Zechariah, and Elizabeth is going, no, it's John, and they go, they've got to confirm it with Zechariah, as if Elizabeth can't decide that, and, and what does Zechariah do? He writes, his name will be called John, and the silence is broken. Zechariah speaks the words of heaven. Look at verse 67. the oath that he swore to our fathers our father abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days and you child speaking to john will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, finally gets to prophesy, to proclaim the truth that had been revealed to him. Silence, broken. Chapter 2, we'll see even more of that, but look, jump ahead with me to chapter 3 for a moment. Now, in, after John comes out of the wilderness. Chapter 3, verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Luke wants us to see that after returning from the wilderness, John's ministry begins fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah as he prepares the way for Jesus. Remember Malachi chapter 3. Verse one, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God is faithful, he has broken his silence. John, the one born to be the prophet, the messenger, announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer, now speaks. Look at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also came to him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I... Is coming the strap of whose, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John gives a strong reprimand to his audience and calls for repentance proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The repentance, that idea of turning away from the way you've been going and turning toward the Lord. He's saying, this needs to stop and now bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Live according to the fact that you have turned away from that and have turned your focus toward God. John was quick, quick to declare that he was not the Christ and the one who was coming after him was far greater He would be the one to introduce, to announce, and even baptize the long-awaited Messiah. The sustained silence of heaven had been finally broken. God had kept his word and was beginning to speak. The wait was coming to an end. I want to jump ahead as I close, and I want you to think about this for a moment. We reside on this side of the cross and the resurrection. We, we know what, who, who was it was that John was introducing, and we know what he would do and how he would do it. And, and now we wait for his return, his promised return. And it'd be easy for us to get impatient and go, uh, Lord, when? I don't understand. Or I, I don't know why you're allowing things to go like they are. Because we don't know when. But we can be certain that God keeps his word. He is faithful. He's not bound by time like we are. And we must re- remember that we serve and worship a God who exists outside of the confines of time. A God who is faithful. A God who knows best. Can you just pause for a minute and take a breath in the fact that God knows what is best? Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're you're hurting about waiting, God knows what's best. And he's never early, but he's never late. He's got it under his control, but we must be ready for him. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that what we read and looked at today was the breaking of your silence. And the breaking of that silence would would mean good news proclaimed. And Father, we gather today because of that good news. Maybe for individuals here who have never invited Jesus to be their Savior, this is that moment to recognize that you redeem and restore people to you. And maybe that's that time to say, Lord, come into my heart, be my Savior. I repent of the ways that I lived and of my sin And I want to be your child. Father, for those of us that struggle with waiting or just waiting for your return or whatever it may be, may we remember how faithful you are, that you know best, and your timing is perfect. Father, as we step into a time of communion, Lord, would you just remind us how good you are. In the name of Christ, we pray.